Well, good evening. Isn't that how Alfred Hitchcock used to start? Good evening. This is Ken Sternfeld for the Concierge Hub Conversation, weekend of July 4th. Big, 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 big weekend here at the home base and here all over the country as we celebrate the birth of a nation. I had to tell you, it's like watching reality TV 24-7, watching what's going on, what people are doing. It's wild and crazy in the United States. Crazy stuff. But hey, what are you going to do? You can't lose your sense of humor. Friend of mine, Mark, we get together on Monday evenings for Romeo Club. He says, millennials have no sense of humor. I don't know about that. I've met quite a few who have a great sense of humor. I love millennials. I think with millennials should run the country. Run the country. It's their country. You know, that's two 70-year-old guys running for president. Do you think they got it all figured out? I don't know. Listen, I'm 65. I'm worried that they're too that I'm they're too they're too old for me. Anyway, I digress. I spent the good part of the weekend here just enjoying reflecting on the good things that we have in life. And we do. Okay, even though it's a pandemic, we do. Had a wonderful conversation with my sister in Israel today. We do a bagels with conversation. And every Sunday, 11 o'clock here, it's seven hours different. So it's right before dinner time there. And we just talk about things. And today we spoke about education because we come through a kind of a, a pathway of genetics for education. My, uh, my father was a music teacher, but he actually was also a pharmacist. And my mother was a teacher at Martin Van Buren High School and then a guidance counselor at Washington Irving in New York, 14th Street. And my sister worked for the New York City School System. Oh, my God, let's pray for the New York City School System now, bringing back 7.5 million students in September and trying so hard. I saw um, what's her name, Randy um, Weingarten, who a uh, very famous woman. Uh, she's the president of the American Feder Federation of Teachers, the second largest uh, union of teachers in America, lives right here on Long Island. And she was on CNN, has been on CNN a lot, talking about the challenges of the education system. So when I see that and I talk to my sister and we talked about education, then I had a barbecue with my daughter, who also is a teacher by trade, even though she's a mother now, full time at home, teaching her two beautiful children says to me, Dad, you know, you keep saying you want to spend more time with the kids. Well, when this pandemic's over, you can have them for two or three months. It's killing me here. Full-time job. But she's not in education because when she graduated and got her license, there weren't any jobs here on Long Island. So she's not working as an educator. But I think an educator, if it's in your blood, you never lose it. My older daughter, Amy, went to University of uh, Boston, Boston University, Great city, great town. I love being up there vicariously. I lived it through her because my parents couldn't afford to send me to Abtown College. So I paid it forward. And I love Boston. Great city. Terrible drivers. The worst. They're on the right-hand lane, and all of a sudden, they take a sharp left right across that, that trolley train, and next thing you know, you're up against a, a rock. Terrible. I don't drive. Try not to drive. Cannot drive in that area. But it's a beautiful area. They get a little more summer, uh, snow than we do. But she's up there now in uh, Brookline with her family and my two older grandchildren, Max and Blake. And uh, love it, love it, love it. So then she went there and she became a teacher and, and graduated and was a young child uh, educator. You know, first graders. How cute is that? 
I went to see her to Mrs. Sternfeld, Mrs. Sternfeld. And I was sitting in the back and she was talking to the kids. And those little chairs, you, you know, listen, when I used to go for the kids, uh, you know, to go to open school week, I could never sit in those little chairs. So here I was, I was watching my daughter, Amy, do her class with those one, those first graders. So cute. So cute. And I'm sitting at the table and, you know, me always trying to make people happy and laugh. And I'm looking at the kids and they're looking at me. They see this big guy. They don't know what the hell he is. And I says, well, you know, you know, I was Amy's dad. And we go, oh, Amy, Amy, Amy. Oh, oh Amy. I made a mistake. I can't, can't call her Amy. She's Mrs. Sternfeld. You know, she says, Mr. No, she was Miss Sternfeld at that point. Excuse me. Before she got married to Austin Austin Darris, Austin from Boston. He wasn't from Boston. He was from Long Island, actually. So they're up in Boston. And I was just thinking about it. You know, we spoke to them and I saw the other kids. It was a great weekend. It still is a great weekend. It really is. So I'm having a lot of fun. And I thought about the other things that made it fun for me was talking to people who were, were kind of connecting with, with the RxVIP. We are doing something that I really never knew existed until this COVID thing kind of came upon us. We are now handling non-traditional D candidates. What the hell is that? I had no idea. I know the Pharmacy Podcast Network has a non-traditional pharmacy show. I like it. I listen to it. I think uh, Lynn and uh, Matt and all, you know, it's a fun show. But I get calls from universities as we open up our doors and did a few months ago to anyone, D candidates for 2020 who couldn't get graduated, D candidates 2021 who couldn't have a rotation site. We opened our doors to the world. It's been wonderful. So I get a call from Howard University, and they said, we have, uh, you know, six students for you. Can you take them? I said, sure. You know, we have a buy six, get one free, actually. It's a special we're doing. And she says, well, one of them is a non-traditional PharmD. No, she didn't even say that. They sent the email. It was NTPD, one of them, Gina, Gina Santorini. I said, what's an NDTTB? What, what is that? So I said, well, that's a non-traditional PharmD. She's part of our program here at Howard University. So what does that mean? Well, that means that she is a has a Bachelor of Science, so registered pharmacist, practicing her profession, and took the dive back to get a PharmD added to her, her, her credentials. I said, wow, that's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I had a similar opportunity because I was out of pharmacy for 27 years, and I was a Bachelor of Science in St. John's in 1978, but then I left the profession shortly after I got my license in 79, to work for my father-in-law in consumer electronics. I wasn't flipping burgers. I wasn't filling prescriptions. I wasn't doing anything in pharmacy for 27 years. But then I came back. I came back. He's back. And I had the, I was challenged. It was about 20, 2006. And at that point, I think that graduating class was the first graduating class that was required to have a PharmD. Up to that point, I remember early on, it was an option for you. I think California was one of the first states that did it, as I recall. But it kind of became the thing to do, you know, because from that time in 20, uh, 2006, now every student completing their pharmacy school had to obtain the, you know, the doctor of pharmacy degree. So I was right on the cusp. So in my admission conversations and my discussions with the State Board of Pharmacy, because I had to get my license, uh, you know, re renewed. 
they said, well, uh, you know, you can go back and there are these courses and you can get a PharmD or you can take 46 credits in one year, 23 live and 23 remote, uh, you know, like continuing education in one year, not in three, in one, and your license will be reactivated. I said, will I be a PharmD? They said, oh, no, no, no. You're just going to get the BS that you had before you came here. I said, listen, I've been out of pharmacy for a long time. There's a lot of BS. I'll take the BS and I'll run. So I did. And I got that uh, license renewed in, uh, and, and re, uh, reactivated in uh, February of 20, 2007. And I sent out three applications, one to Walgreens, one to CBS, and one to Rite Aid. And CBS called me first, so I took the job. In those days, there was a shortage of pharmacists. Didn't matter, BS, PharmD, XYZ, they needed pharmacists, not like it is today. So I decided that I look back on it with a 27-year lunch break. I'm about as non-traditional as you can possibly imagine. So when Howard University says, I'd want you to speak to one of these students, I said, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to know what, what is it about? And we actually had Gina on a podcast. And she had her license and then decided to start a family, five beautiful children over 15 years. It sounds like she was busy, but that's 15 years away from study, out of the profession. But then she decided to go back. Boy, that shows character. That shows commitment. That shows someone who really, really is dedicated to patient care. And we had a rotation with her. It was great. I learned more from her than she learned from me because that, that, Commitment, that, that desire to really set that bar is very, very inspirational. So as we continue to accept, oh, we would like the Statue of Liberty. We'll take everyone. We get experiential educators in their departments from their schools, and they were calling and sending emails and begging us. This is no begging necessary, no begging. You're, you didn't expect this pandemic. Nobody did. We will take them. We'll, we were their human Xanax. We, we calmed them down. Western University calls. We'll take them. Yeah, so we had wonderful students who came from Western University. We, oh, and then we had Shenandoah, Shenandoah. And I don't even know where Shenandoah is, but we said, we'll take you. Wonderful, wonderful. Traditional and non-traditional. So now we're getting the smorgasbord. We're getting them both. So in our educational pathway, Dr. Crystal Cruz, who is a, she is the architect of flipping this entire educational pathway that we have at RxVIP to a full remote. And she did it in 48 hours. I don't know how she did it. But we have started taking all of those, those, I think on Monday of this week, no, Tuesday, we start Tuesday. I think we're over 79 students in our in our rotation. By by Labor Day, we'll be about 200 based on the, the numbers that we see that, that the, uh, the schools are are thanking us and granting us the pleasure and the opportunity to mentor their their most prideful people, their students. So Western University, the University of Colorado. Wow, that one has set the bar. We've gotten some amazing, amazing individuals, people who we feel from the day where I got to know them, that they would all be extraordinary assets to our organization. So we never, ever, ever Talk about that while we are on rotation because we're here as their educators. But for sure, each one of them, if they want, can accept an offer to join our, join our company. So we're, we're the only 
I believe, a rotation site that actually kind of gives an offer to uh, those individuals, appies who are on rotation the day after it ends. Because we, we love training them. We love giving them the learning curve, but we want them to earn as well. And then we recently got a call from Massachusetts College of Pharmacy. Oh, wow. I was talking to, I forget what her name is. And I was saying, you have no idea how this call is making me happy. Now I can spend more time up with my in, in Boston with my, my grandchildren. I don't care. I'll, I'll just come whenever I can come. Who knew there was, you know, not going to be able to, to fly or go or whatever. But so now we're mentoring dozens of non-traditional pharmacists. It's unbelievable. And I'm learning from them today. I spoke to Dahlia in, in, uh, in uh, Florida. She's in Tampa. Brilliant, brilliant clinician. She's, she's talking about the things that she did on her prior rotations. Unbelievable about what they're doing. So I said, oh, do you know Brian from Colorado? No, I don't know Brian. Well, they don't, they don't get the chance to be together in the classroom. And that's a whole other topic we can have because who knows where the next classroom is going to be. And if you're ever going to be able to get people in the classroom. So, you know, I also spoke to someone in British Columbia yesterday, Dustin. Three hours difference. He's in, he's in British Columbia. And he goes to the University of Colorado. You know, we're talking about all the challenges of education. And all the challenges about how a non-traditional pharmacist was going through distant learning. Maybe they listened to recorded uh, lectures and maybe they did their projects on their own time. And maybe for 25 years, that non-traditional doctor of pharmacy programs have been around. Maybe it's time that we realize that in the new COVID world, everybody's a non-traditional pharmacist. How can you not be? Do you think you're going to be back in didactic learning in a university that can't take you in their door for the amount of people that go in there? Do you think that these programs of education, which would design the non-traditional programs, were designed for distant learning, designed for delivering off-campus education, both didactic and experiential, do you think those practices and those rotations are going to go away? I think they're going to grow because let's look at why non-traditional PharmD programs were developed. They were, I guess, developed to give bachelors of science who were practicing clinicians, pharmacists, positions that would allow them to advance their competency, and overall quality in the healthcare industry as a pharmacist. That's a wonderful, wonderful way to look at it. Would it mean that the other reason, which I've heard from every non-traditional pharmacist who I spoke to, that the only reason they felt they could get a job, even with the experience even with the knowledge that they've learned by being a practicing pharmacist, they each one of them identified the fact that to really get a job and to be competitive within this pharmacy market, they felt they needed that let those letters after their name. And maybe they did. And maybe it's a good thing 
that we refresh their clinical knowledge. Maybe it's a good thing that we look at the educational requirements for a non-traditional pharmacy, uh, a pharmacist to go back and to look at those courses, which clearly need to include the didactic, you know, new things that they didn't know about and that knowledge to augment their previous schooling. There's no question that that updated, that updates need to be done. And the didactic portion for a non-traditional pharmacist can be online. There's no reason why it can't. And it can be done at the student's own pace. There's no reason why it can't. Now, there were other non-traditional programs available in addition to the ones I mentioned. I think there was one at University of Florida, but they don't have it anymore. And I wonder why. It's none of my business, but uh, there was a study that actually came out. And I don't know if it was from the University of Florida where it compared the performance level of the academic and of the didactic learning of uh, any experiential learning of uh, a non-traditional pharmacist who's learning, you know, remotely and someone who's on campus. From an academic standpoint, what's interesting is there was very little, very little difference, very little change. Overall, the differences, uh, you know, were basically not significant at all. If there were courses that any that showed any differences, you know, the difference usually reflected a more positive performance by the off-campus pharmacist. So when the scores were up as opposed to the same, it was that non-traditional pharmacist who was climbing the ladder, diving a little deeper, as we like to say at RxVIP. Interesting. Now, the experiential part of a non-traditional PharmD, I think, puts him or her at a disadvantage. As I recall, or as I think I know now, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight or nine electives that a PharmD candidate, not electives, but, but rotations that they have to take during their sixth year. Non-traditional uh, programs only give them three in that year. One of them happens, I think, earlier on in their second year, and then in their third year, then there are two more. But if you look at what they are asked to do, they're asked to do a ambulatory care, makes sense, you know, uh, a, a acute care, inpatient uh, hospital setting, makes sense. And then, you know, that third one is uh, something that they, I don't, I don't even know how they define it. It's something having to do with more drug therapies and reporting on and it didn't seem to me from what I spoke to, and again, I don't have any, I don't follow the syllabuses of these, these courses to that degree. You know, we do follow the, the things that are required, but it had to do with, you know, just really not almost being involved with the patient. You know, because I asked each of them during that part of it, were you involved with the patient? No, no, not as much. We reported back and we were given cases and we were, you know, that we had to perform perspective chart reviews and and identify interventions and, you know, and, and then present it to our preceptor and, and monitor these. Stuff. Now, very, very, very important didactically. But that experience, is that person going to advance his or her career if they're not involved with the patient? I always question that. There's cost involved. 
with these programs. You know, education isn't free unless you're going to enroll in the Care One Concierge Academy in September because there is no cost for the educational pathway that we'll deliver to non-traditional pharmacists. And we're going to say that everybody's a non-traditional pharmacist in the new COVID world. You are. You're going to have to adapt to telemedicine. You're going to have to adapt to remote patient monitoring. You're going to have to adapt, adapt, adapt. And you're going to have to know everything there is to know about COVID testing and contact tracing to be a pharmacist, in our opinion, for what it's worth. So everything will be COVID-centric, the new world, the new world of pharmacy, of self-care and healthcare, because we need to be providers of the solutions. We can't just talk about that we're the most accessible, you know, professional in the industry. Well, we may not be. We may not be. <laughs> Doctors right now are doing telehealth in the tens of thousands of interactions and encounters a week. Well, we are at RxVIP, not tens of thousands, but we've flipped, you know, flipped it totally because that's where we need to be. So as, as a non-traditional pharmacist, which I am, I recognize the need to embrace more non-traditional pharmacists. So we will have one, two, or three of the people who have chosen us or have been, cho- been given the opportunity to mentor them during their four to six week rotations. And we're going to have them be voices about bringing more non-traditional uh, pharmacists together not just from the five or six universities that we mentioned. We believe everyone's a non-traditional pharmacist now in the new COVID world. We believe you must be non-traditional because there is no tradition. There is no history. There's no template of what it was. We're not going back. We're going forward. You know, so in closing comments, my best advice for any pharmacist at any stage of his or her career is to consider a non-traditional pathway because that's what we are. And to be very proactive to advance your career anytime, whether you're entering the career or whether you're a 20 year veteran in the career, you must, must look for opportunities in the COVID environment because those opportunities exist to advance your career. Have conversations with others, network, talk to them, let your voice be heard. What are your concerns? Because you need to know that education gives you a positive impact on your life. And education has been blown up by COVID-19. So our commitment has always been to the profession and the patients we serve and will never waver. But our commitment expands due to COVID. And thank you, Crystal Cruz, Dr. Crystal Cruz, and Jason Cavallino, and Peter Bechtel, and all of the team at RxVIP. I just talked the talk. They walked the walk. And what we're doing is we're creating a new paradigm shift, not just for the way a pharmacist can practice at the height of their diploma, but how education can be delivered in the new millennium. We're in a new millennium right now. It's a new, it's a new day. It's a new day on the block. You know, welcome to the twilight zone. It, it's just, it is, it is what it is. It's a reality TV show. We're just seeing it every day on the television. Would you do a, a non-traditional program, if it gave you all the experience and a job and a career that you could earn money to pay back your student loans, or would you not? All of the traditional pathways must remain. All of the didactic learning and the, the pathways that IPIs and APIs and 
residents and fellows have to take must remain. They are anchors to the educational pathways for pharmacists. But would you do anything different now because it's a pandemic? Or would you stay the same? Would you personally decide to do more with your career because the opportunity presented itself to actually advance your career with all of the services that you possibly can deliver in a broad stroke that will introduce you to here at RxVIP Concierge? You know, I've had the pleasure of mentoring, uh, precepting hundreds of students. It's my life. I love it. I love it. They keep me, they keep me going every day. They, they challenge me to be a better pharmacist. They challenge me to be an educator at the highest level that I can. Adding these non-traditional pharmacists recently has raised the bar even more for me. So when I reflect on my oath as a pharmacist, and I don't do it very often because the business of pharmacy sometimes doesn't let you to pull that little oath card out. But the profession, which my father was, was doc and my father was, was the community pharmacist who, uh, who stood by that oath. And I do in his honor that I will apply my knowledge and experience and skills to the best of my ability to assure optimal drug therapies outcomes for the patients I serve. I will keep abreast of developments and maintain professional competency in the profession of pharmacy. In today's COVID world, that oath remains. But in today's COVID world, it is a world of a non-traditional pharmacist. So look for shows and podcasts and additional comments about how a non-traditional pharmacist can practice at the height of his or her profession and be paid for the professional services they deliver. Have a wonderful day and stay safe.